here. Um, welcome to all of you who are here with us today. My name is Matt Rawlings, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we are glad to have you join with us. If this is your first time, um, please get to know folks. We want to have you join us for our potluck afterwards. It'll probably take us just a few minutes to get set up, but you don't need to bring anything. Don't go out and get something to come back. Um, if you are just visiting, if you are a member here and you want to do that, that's fine. But um, please join us. We're going to have the food out front. We'll have um, some tents out there. Um, we'll have tables and chairs set up, and then we're going to have some kids games up there later on. Um, as Aaron mentioned, we could use all of your help. So I specifically want to ask um, for help from the men, because men were, were wanting to lead like Jesus, and one of the ways that Jesus lead, leads is by serving us. And so, men, I'm specifically asking everyone here, please, immediately after service, help us and set up the great way to serve and lead in serving. Um, I want to make a couple announcements, give you one update, actually two updates. Um, one update is on our church property. As you know, we sold a portion of it, a third of our church property. We have, well, not we've not sold it, but we're selling it. So this coming Thursday is the closing for our church property, and we're excited about that. And you can cheer. That's okay. Matt was putting his, pumping his fist. Um, we also want you to pray, because as you know, there's, there can be bumps and thumps and On the um, apparently they uh, no, it's on the laptop or on the, on the key fob there yeah um, excellent so you need a thumb drive apparently apparently they have the wrong slides anyway um, so um, with that if you could pray for the closing Thursday because like all closings sometimes there can be little bumps and thumps along the way there's been nothing so far we are fully in faith but hey just pray that everything goes smoothly and um, that God's grace and favor is upon us. And then also pray that the other two portions of our property, that this helps them sell better as well. So you can pray for those things too. And if you know of anybody who wants to buy 18 acres or 8 acres or 10 acres somewhere in there, um, please let Greg Jansen in the back know. Greg, can you put your hand up so everybody knows who you are? Let him know. He's one of the realtors in the church, by the way. If you need a realtor, we have a couple, and he's one of those guys who serves us in a great way. Um, And then the second thing I wanted to update you on is that this morning, um, anybody here remember um, the Nysong family? Anybody here remember the Nysong family? They were a, a critical part of our church. James here was serving us in our youth um, and he was on a trajectory um, to become um, a more a part of what we do. And so um, he felt called by God to go and plant a church in Asheville, North Carolina, a place that desperately needs gospel-centered churches. And so he and a friend of his named Jazz Cathcart, they, they have joined together. And this morning, or actually not this morning, this evening is their very first um, official launch Sunday. So we wanted to let you know about that. We have some members of our church who can go up and be helping them with child care. I think it's at five o'clock, so some people are, are um, going to be helping them there with that. Actually, Ryan Mansuito is up there because their bass player got sick, and he's playing bass for them this morning. They're not leaving, but they are serving that church plant because we want to be a part of of fruitful gospel ministry in other cities. We want to see the gospel go forth, and it primarily does that as God establishes his church. And so we're excited about that church plant, so I want to ask you to pray for that as well. And um, what we're going to do right now is actually we're going to pray together as a church for those two things, and that God would just um, not only bless the land sale, but that he would make their church plant fruitful. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. God, we don't take for granted that we're able to sell a portion of our land, God, that that you provide for us in very practical ways. We don't take that for granted. And so, Lord, we lift up every decision before you. We lift up every transaction, everything we do in our lives, Lord, and we, we acknowledge that, Lord, unless you carry them out, They will not be fruitful. So Lord, we pray that you would carry out the sale of this land, that you would give us favor with the buyers. We pray that there be no problems and that everything would would close quickly. And God, we also pray that you would continue to provide for this church, not only through normal giving, Lord, but through the sale of the other portions of the land. God, we look to you. You are the one who has all authority, all power. You're able to do those things. So God, we come to you humbly and ask that. And Father, we also ask that your kingdom would be established in Asheville as well. God, we pray that your church will be built and grow, Lord. We pray that your gospel message, the, the message of the power of God's kingdom would go forth in Asheville through the Reach Life Church. God, I pray for their, 
launch tonight, that even now you begin stirring people up to come and, and check them out, Lord, for visitors to come, for unbelievers to come. And, and Father, I pray that all the details would work well as they get ready to launch tonight and have their public meeting. Would you be glorified? Would your name be exalted, Lord? We don't pray for the exaltation of, of our local church or the exaltation of Reach Life Church, Lord, but we pray for your exaltation in and through both our church and their church. God, would you bring people to yourself? Would you proclaim your gospel? Would you make that work there fruitful? Pray for all the administrative details that need to take place, God. Pray that you would make things operate smoothly tonight and that people's lives would be affected. In Jesus' name. God, we also pray for this morning. God, I pray that you would be with us. In in your name, amen. Well, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Wow, and um, by the way, thank you very much to the overhead teams. That was a really quick turnaround. They got the new slides up, so thank you. Um, but turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 31 through 44. As I was preparing for today, I was just struck with how much fear is in our nation, how much fear there is in the culture around us, and, and, and believe that we need to see the power and authority of Jesus. And so... We're going to see that in this passage today. You're going to see the power and authority that Jesus has in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. This is God's holy inspired word for us today. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on, on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. God, would you make your word Affected Father, we ask for you to impart your word to our hearts and minds. Would you help us look up and see you? Would, would you enable us to see you, Jesus, for who you are, to see you as the king? Jesus, would you help us see your power, your authority? And God, I pray that we would rest in that. Father, I pray personally for myself that I would have strength to preach. God, I'm sick, and I pray that you would... You would bring healing to my body and you would enable me and strengthen me to preach. God, I pray for everyone here personally that you would, you would enable all of us to hear from you in our weaknesses, in our fears, in our deficiencies, in the midst of our sin. God, I pray that you would show us your power. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, especially in North America, although it's not a thing that's endemic to North America alone, but especially in North America, we kind of resist authority. We don't like authority. We, we, we love our individualism. 
And often people point to authority as the source of their problems, especially right now. You have all kinds of finger pointing all over the place of what the source of our problems are in authority. And, but the reality is when there's no authority in a society, chaos comes about. The other problem is that when there's bad authority, when there's an evil authority and power, people can live in fear, not knowing what will be done to them or to those they love, because evil authorities can't be trusted. We've seen that all throughout the history of the world. We've seen that in, in, in people ever since, people like Genghis Khan and Pol Pot and Idi Amin and, and Vlad the Impaler, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, who said he probably killed somewhere upwards of 50-some million people. Evil authority can't be trusted. We... we but we distrust authority. We, we don't know what to do with authority. We know we need it, but we don't want bad authority. And, and the lack of authority and evil authority can cause problems, can cause fears, can cause anxiety. And we're seeing some of the fruits of that in our society today, right now. There was a book that I read when I was younger. It was by William Golding. It was called Lord of the Flies, and I hated it. It was a brutal story. It ended up in a, in a very dark way. And it tells the story of a group of boys who become marooned on this island. And, and at first they elect who they think will be a great leader. Um, Ralph, he's charismatic. I don't mean that he spoke with tongues or something like that, but he had charisma. And so Ralph, he had charisma and he had this conch. And this conch was the conch of power and so they elect Ralph. The problem is Ralph isn't a lot of fun and so they end up following this guy named Jack because Jack promises him a lot of fun because he promises them self-indulgence and the freedom from authority but the problem is Jack actually becomes their evil authority and leads them into evil. And in the end of the book, two of the kids are killed. This rival named Jack, he, he's intent on warfare. And in the novel, it really illustrates the problem of evil and evil authority. And it shows that it really comes from our own hearts. It's a really dark ending. And it, and it, but it makes the, the reader think and it leaves you wondering, who can deliver us from this problem of evil? The book doesn't resolve it. The Lord of the Flies kind of leaves you there showing how dark mankind is and the problem with authority and the problem is that evil lies within us and it creates this, these problems that we have, but it leaves you there. But it's not a new question. It's not a new problem to wrestle with. Ever since Adam sinned against God, he was rebelling against God's authority. And when, God, when Adam rebelled against God's authority... Humanity has needed to get back to God's authority ever since to establish, to, for God to reestablish the good order that he created. And unfortunately, most of humanity hasn't recognized the need for God's authority. And in our own lives, at times we don't either. In hindsight, we can see back that authority, when it's, when it's good, things tend to go well. When authority is bad, things tend to go badly for us. The problem is that no human authority lasts. In Jesus' day, the Romans were in authority. And the people who were Jesus' hearers, they were looking for a Messiah who would deliver them from an earthly realm, an earthly kingdom. Does that sound familiar? They were looking for an earthly leader. They were looking for someone who would make their country great, who would deliver them from the problems that they had. But Jesus came on the scene to do something else. He did something that was radical. He came to establish God's reign and God's rule on the earth. And so what we see in Luke 4, if you're reading through the gospel of Luke, you go to Luke 4 and you can see that, that Jesus, he's coming. And what we see is that he's demonstrating his power and his authority. What we really need. He demonstrates his power and his authority to set people free as his kingdom's proclaimed. And really the main idea, if you're going to kind of sum up the whole chapter here, of, of a whole portion from Luke 4, 31 to 44, is that Jesus here, what is he doing? He's acting with power. He's acting with power and authority, and he is setting people free as his kingdom's proclaimed. These are not just nice stories that we hear. This isn't just a story about deliverance from demons and a deliverance from a high fever. This is Jesus coming on the scene, and he's acting with power and authority to set people free and deliver them as his kingdom's proclaimed. You see, our, our need is really no different from the need that the Jewish people had in that day. We know there's problems in the society and the world around us, don't we? 
It doesn't take much to be able to look around and see that there's problems all around the place. There's, there's problems not just outside there. There's not just in the government, though. There's problems everywhere we look. There's, there's corrupt corporations. There's problems in schools, problems with authority in school. There's problems with authority in the home. There's problems with authority in the family. There's an there's a authority problem all throughout the earth, and and what we need is we need Jesus' power and authority to come. The problem is that we often can look to other places, other solutions. You know, it seems to be a lot of disagreement right now about what kind of authority or who needs to be in authority. It seems that we're almost at each other's throats, at least verbally, over what authority we want. I think we need a reminder from Scripture you know, sometimes it seems a little like Lord of the Flies is being played out in our society. And, but what we need most right now is we need to look and see what's really going on is that Jesus is the one who's in authority. Sometimes as Christians we forget that, can't we? We can get so wrapped up in other things. We can get so wrapped up. We can get worried when we see our kids rebelling and think what they need is maybe just a tighter fist and more rules. Or we can, get, we can get confused and we can think that solutions lie with a different educational system or they lie with government or whatever the solution. Or maybe it's, it's corporate corruption so we need to get rid of the 1% because that's the problem. But the problem is the Lord of the Flies is in all of us, the the evil is inside of all of our hearts, and we need to see God's authority. Capernaum, about 2,000 years ago, the, the people had kind of lost sight of God to some extent. The people of God had lost sight of God. And their teachers had lost authority as well because they strayed from teaching God's word. And so in the very opening of this passage, we see that Jesus is astonishing them because he teaches with authority. His word has authority. His very word is authority. Their teachers had lost um, their authority because they, were, they taught in a manner where they would just recite what the previous rabbis used to teach. They would say something like, you know, Rabbi Ben so-and-so, and Rabbi Ben so-and-so would say this, and because of this, and they would, they would kind of set a legal precedent for, for their truth. And so they lacked all power and all authority, and so this is really the first thing that Luke wants to get us to see, is that Jesus does have authority. Jesus has authority, and he has authority in his very word, That's the first main idea that we see in this passage. His teaching, it says, was not like the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. They were astonished. Why? Because he, his word had authority. Do do you see that? Do you see that Jesus' word has authority? Does Jesus' word have authority in your own life? Are you astonished at his authority? I hope so. I'm, I'm, I'm regularly astonished when I go back to scriptures when I get my head on straight and I see Jesus' words and I'm affected by the, the power of the scriptures. The teaching of the rabbis lacked power because it, it relied on the mere words of man instead of resting on this powerful, life-giving word of God. Maybe today for us it would be like saying, well, John Piper says this about integrity and, and D.A. Carson says this about true religion and and. and that would be awful, an awful way to live our lives because it would be based on the authority of men and, and so it would leave you anemic. The people were anemic. They were, they were needing the life-giving power of Jesus' word and so Jesus taught them with divine authority. It was unlike any word they ever heard. He declared God's word directly. He spoke himself with authority. He didn't quote anybody else. He told them what God's will was. And the fact is people were awestruck I wonder if we see that today. Are, are we all struck personally by the word of God? Do we see how powerful his teaching is? Are, are, do, if so, if you say you are, as Christians, do we seek to be taught by him? Do we look to the one who has authority? Are we hanging on every word of these presidential debates, which are nonsense, or are we hanging on the debates that have already been settled by Jesus? Really, are we hanging on his words? Do we look to him? Do we submit to his teaching? Do we seek his authority in our lives? This passage kind of raises those questions. It says the people in that synagogue were astonished and his teaching had an effect. But the effect wasn't just in word only. He proved his word had authority. And in verses 33 through 37, you can look down your Bibles. Verses 33 through 37. It shows us really the second idea that Luke wants the reader to see. And it's that Jesus has authority and delivers from the power of darkness. 
Jesus has authority and he delivers from the power of darkness as well. As Jesus preached the good news, as he preached the news about the kingdom, as he proclaimed his word, it had a powerful effect. It made the demons in the congregation scared. And by the way, there could be demons here today that God's powerful over. Just like in that day, Jesus' words were proclaimed with authority. It drove the demons nuts. And so Jesus, as he's teaching, it drives the demons nuts because he is is a full-on frontal assault against the authority of the devil. Jesus was beginning here to destroy the works of the devil, tearing down strongholds of deception and ripping away blinders to keep people from seeing the truth. And whenever Jesus is preached, spiritual warfare occurs, and that's what's going on here. And so what do you see? You see demonic forces respond. There's always an effect when the good news about Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is faithfully preached. And later on, the apostle Paul, he wrote that the, the gospel, the good news that Jesus preached is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so this, this powerful preaching of the good news is going out. And there is this man sitting there in the synagogue. And he's demon-possessed. And it says he's, he's filled with this evil, unclean spirit. And the demon inside him couldn't take it any longer. I wonder if the reaction of the congregation was on that day when all of a sudden this guy comes from the middle of the congregation. He just kind of pipes and says, hey, what, have you, what do you have to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? And the way it's translated, you could have said, you've come to destroy us. And then the demon begins to say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Obviously, the demon was afraid. You can imagine sitting there that day. You can just imagine someone today doing that. The demon may have even been trying to exercise authority over Jesus by, by using his name because mystics and magicians used to believe that if you, could, if you could use the name of a demon or a creature in an incantation that you would have power over that. But Jesus would have nothing to do with that. The, de- the demon clearly recognized who Jesus was, not just a man from, from Nazareth, but the Holy One of God. What was he recognizing? He was recognizing Jesus has authority. He has power. But knowing who Jesus was, it clearly didn't mean the demon was serving Jesus. So what's going on here? Well, in James 2, James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote that even the demons believe and shudder. But his, his shuddering here is not a proclamation of faith. It's recognizing Jesus and shuddering in fear. The demon's concerned with himself. But Jesus wouldn't allow the demon to take center stage. And so... He doesn't allow the demon to claim authority to distract people from the message, and he rebukes the demon, but he doesn't go through some weird kind of incantation. He doesn't go through some kind of weird ritual. In that day, they would have had all kinds of crazy rituals to try to get demons out, and they would hook rings in people's noses and pull them and try to pull the demon out and do all kinds of crazy little things. And, you know, it reminds me today of, like, sprinkling holy water on people. There's no such thing as holy water, by the way. There's just water. And so they would do all kinds of these rituals, trying to get the demons out. But Jesus, he, he just used a word. He wasn't like the exorcist of their day. He, he just used a word. And he says, be quiet, be silent. Come out of him. What's happening? The power of the kingdom of God is, is breaking forth. And so Jesus is declaring that he has all authority and all power over demons, over the forces of darkness. And that's what Luke hopes for us to see. The demon had to obey Jesus. There was no wrestling match here. There was no contest. It says, the demon, Jesus said, be silent, come out of him. What did the demon do? He immediately threw the man down and came out. And the man was left with no harm. The demon couldn't even harm the man. The devil might have claimed authority over all the kingdoms of the world, but Jesus is demonstrating he came to establish his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and he's over all the kingdoms of the earth. This man was instantly delivered from his bondage and Jesus even kept the demon from doing harm. And then look in verse 36. They're all shocked. They're all amazed. They said to one another, what is this word? What's this word? What is this word of power? This word about the kingdom, this word about the gospel. What's this word? 
and, and for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. You see, Jesus is in command. He has power and authority over all the forces of darkness. Sometimes we can act as Christians like the darkness is going to overwhelm us. You ever have that this kind of nagging sense of fear like, oh no, the world's getting darker. Oh no, the problems, the evil in the world is getting greater. And we can forget that Jesus has authority and power just with his powerful word alone. We can forget that. But Jesus' authority was backed up by proving that he has authority and power of the spiritual realm and all the kingdoms of the earth. You see, demons were linked to Satan. And Satan has been called the, the ruler of this world. And so in Jesus, proclaiming authority over the demon is, is really proclaiming his authority over the evil forces of this world. The devil was given authority over all the kingdoms of the earth and he was still ruling and reigning without any checks, without Jesus conquering him, it would be something to be truly afraid of. But what Jesus has come for is he's come to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. What is that? The rule and reign of God over the devil and his kingdom. And he proved he's fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Earlier on in Luke, Jesus quotes from the prophecy of Isaiah in, in Luke 4.18, just a few verses. We have them for the overheads there. And he says, the spirit is upon me. Here's what Jesus came to do. The spirit is upon me because he's anointed me to do what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus said he came to do. And now in this passage, Jesus is proving that he came to do that. He's proclaiming deliverance. He's proclaiming the year of the Lord. He's proclaiming the authority of Jesus over the powers of darkness. His power and authority means that we no longer have to be slaves to the devil. We no longer have to be afraid of evil in the world. It means that we can be truly set free regardless of any powers or kingdoms of this world. Do you believe that? His power and authority mean we no longer have to be slaves to sin and the devil. It means that we no longer have to be slaves to darkness and blinded and helpless. The the, the word of Jesus brings powerful, life-giving, death-defeating, sin-killing, eye-opening, light-giving freedom. That's what Jesus came to do. He, He came to proclaim liberty, to give sight to release from oppression, to proclaim the year of, it says, of the Lord's favor. What is that Lord's favor? God's grace. He came to proclaim that God's gracious reign and rule has now come. Despite what nations might rage, despite what happens in the world around us, despite the devil's effort, despite whatever kings and rulers of the earth might do, despite the Nebuchadnezzars, despite Babylon, Jesus has all power and authority over them. You know, all of us who trusted in Jesus for our rescue, who believed in him and placed our faith in him to save us, we have this favor of God, this grace of God that no one can take away from us. We have a lasting kingdom that no kingdom on the earth can thwart. We have the power of Jesus Christ and the authority of Jesus Christ, not only resident in our own lives, but in the world around us that we can put our hope and faith and trust in. Jesus has power and authority of the devil, all the kingdoms of the earth. The next thing we see in this passage is that Jesus not only has power and authority in his word, and he has power and authority over the devil, but Luke is showing the readers that he also has, he has authority and delivers from the power and effects of sin. He, he, delivers, he delivers and has power over the effects of sin. Look in verse 37. You see that Jesus left the synagogue there and he goes to Simon's house. He's probably going to get a bite to eat like we're going to do a little bit later. He was hungry after the Sunday, after the Saturday message then, but you know, we can relate. So he leaves the synagogue and he goes to get a meal at Simon's house, most likely. And when he shows up there, there's a problem though. Um, Simon's mother-in-law, she's really sick. 
She has what's called a high fever, and, and that was a word that they reserved for people who were near death. It was a, a very concerning illness. It was an illness they couldn't do anything about. Somebody had a high fever, you just kind of hoped that they would get better, and often it didn't end up that way. But he goes in the house, and he finds that Simon's mother-in-law has a high fever. She has this life-threatening fever, whatever the cause for it was, and, and so the people in the house, they appeal to Jesus and they say, would you heal her? They make an appeal to Jesus and Jesus goes and he stands over her. And it's meant to be a picture for us of, of, of Jesus having authority. He stands over her. And something interesting here in this part, although later he lays hands on people, here he doesn't lay hands on her. He stands over her and he proclaims. What's he doing? He's proclaiming his authority over the effects of sin. I'm not saying that this woman was sick because because she was sinful, but all sickness is at least indirectly a result of sin in the sense that when sin entered the world, our physical bodies were corrupted. The world around us was corrupted. And so as a result, we get sick. So Jesus comes, though, and he stands over her and And it says that he rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever. That's interesting. Why why did he rebuke the fever? He's rebuking the effects and power of sin in her life. He's rebuking the fever of her life. He's showing that he has all power and authority to deliver from the effects of sins. He demonstrates his authority. You know, maybe you've had a really high fever before. You've been bedridden. I've been there at the place when I've had a fever of 104 for a couple of days, and uh, it was left me so weak, unable to eat, unable to do anything. And, and when I got better, it still took me a few days to get over it. This, Jesus demonstrates that he, his word has an immediate effect. His word is life-giving even to our bodies, and he reverses the effects of sin even in our own bodies, and immediately the mother-in-law gets up. That's not normal if you have a high fever. You don't immediately get up and start doing stuff. Hey, that's great. Come on in. If I have a high fever, I'm not inviting people over to my house and saying, hey, come on in. Let me serve you. It wouldn't be very kind. But Jesus heals this woman. She gets up and she immediately starts to serve. Why is that? Well, it's a demonstration of the fact that Jesus delivers from the effects of sin. He delivers from sickness. He, he, is, he has authority not only over the demonic world, but over the physical world and over our bodies and the effects of sin. He came to reverse the effects of sin in every way. He came to undo the power and authority that sin has over us. So she gets up, and it wasn't long before somebody in the house ran out and said, you won't believe it. You know, Simon's mother-in-law, she's been sick this whole time. She's immediately got healed. Jesus rebuked the fever. That was weird. But then she got, she got healed. She got up, she started serving. That was crazy. And so everybody finds out, but they have to wait because it's the Sabbath. They can't bring people to him because they're not supposed to carry a burden on the Sabbath. And they probably also want to make sure they don't, okay, make the teacher heal on the Sabbath. And so they wait till it's nighttime. And then they start inundating Jesus. It says in verse 40, it says, The sun's setting, and all those who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed him. What's Jesus doing? He, he's laying his hands on them. He is personally caring for them. He is communicating his authority over sickness. You know, only something more powerful than a sickness can heal a sickness. When I am sick, I take an antibiotic if it's a bad bacteria, and I, and I hope that the antibiotics will somehow duke it out inside of me. I don't really understand all that, but I, I hope that they will at least begin to kill the bacteria inside of me and that they will have power over it. But a sickness, it, 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 it requires something to overpower it, if it's our own immune system or antibiotics, or whatever it is. But you see, Jesus here is showing that, that he has authority over sickness. He conquers sickness. He is over it. Even over our physical bodies and our, the molecules in our bodies and the bacteria and viruses and, and the cause for our problems, in every way he's reversing the power and effects of sin and he's showing he has authority. It demonstrates something to us about Jesus. It 
demonstrates his authority over all the effects of sin. And we see that in verse 41, the man in the, with the demon in the synagogue, he wasn't the only one. He said, demons came out of many, and they cried out, you are the son of God. They were shrieking in terror, crying out, acknowledging who Jesus is. They knew Jesus is the chosen one, the anointed son of God, deliver the people from the powers of evil. And as a total aside, be careful that you only put your faith in a confession. The demons were confessing here, but they clearly weren't following Jesus. You see, they didn't submit to his authority. They didn't submit to his power. We, we, we're going to follow Jesus. We have to submit to his authority. We submit to his power. We submit to his word. But the demons here, they cry out, you're the, you're the son of God, and he rebukes them. He doesn't allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. He didn't want their testimony or need their testimony he didn't want them to reveal he's the Messiah because the people would have caused them to seek an earthly leader. It would have caused them to seek an earthly leader and deliver, and they wouldn't have heard the message that he came to preach, the message of the power of, the God's, of God's kingdom. And they didn't need to respond to the testimony of demons. They needed to see who Jesus was for themselves, and they needed to, to submit to his words and his authority. That's what we need as well. We need, we need to see who Jesus is for his words. We need to see Jesus' words of power and authority. And then we need to respond to him. Well, in verse 42, Jesus, the next day, he gets up and he goes out. And he's probably tired. He stayed up all night healing people and casting demons out. And so he gets up and he tries to go away to a desolate place. But they find him where he's at. And they go out and they seek him. And they try to keep him from leaving because they want him to do things for them. They want the miracle man to serve their needs. But verse 43 Here's what Jesus says. He says to them, he says, I must preach the good news of what? This is critical for you to see. That. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. What is that? The, the rule, the reign, the power and authority of God. That's the good news that Jesus came to preach. To the other towns as well, he says, for I was sent for this purpose. I was sent to proclaim the good news of the rule of God, of the reign of God. I was sent to proclaim that God is making all things new, that he is over all the kingdoms of the earth. I was sent to proclaim that he is about establishing and reestablishing his authority all throughout the earth. He's about undoing the effects of sin in the fall. He is redoing what he established to begin with in, in creation, and he is recreating men and women. You know, back at the beginning of chapter four, Luke had just, I mean, Jesus had just been baptized, and, and Luke's showing us that Jesus begins his ministry and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And do you remember the first thing that Jesus did after he was filled with the Spirit and he began his ministry? The very first thing that Jesus did was he was led out by, into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And, and the first temptation, Jesus is, is tempted to use his power to, to satisfy himself, to gratify himself, take the easy way out. He's tempted to use his power to fulfill himself, to give bread to himself, to make stones into bread. And he says, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And then the second temptation, and this is important to see for this passage, it's at the beginning of this chapter and it sets the stage for it. The second temptation the devil says, here, Jesus, I want to show you all the kingdoms of the earth. And in a moment, somehow, if it was like a weird mystical movie screen, whatever it was, he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, all the authorities, all the governments of the earth. And he puts them in front of Jesus, and he shows them all the governments of the earth. And then he says, all these can be yours. And you might think for a minute, well, that's not a temptation, right? But think about it. Jesus knew that he came to give up his life. He, he came knowing he would give up his life to earn his kingdom, to, to bring his kingdom about. He knew the, the hard work he had to do. He knew what he was about to do. He knew where he was headed to a cross to die. And so this temptation was a very real temptation because it was a temptation to take the easy way out to trust in earthly kingdoms. It was a temptation to trust in the world's kingdom, to look to another solution outside of God to bring, to unite kingdoms and bring peace. And Jesus could have said, yes, I'm going to unite all the kingdoms of the earth under me and bring peace and bring about my kingdom by worshiping the devil, by worshiping earthly kingdoms. But he said no. He said no. It would have meant taking up earthly glory and not identifying with the sinners he came to save. It would have meant 
a path of worldly glory and trusting in worldly kingdoms and not a path that led to the cross. But Jesus conquered the temptation by reciting God's word to him and pointing out that God alone is to be worshipped, even if it means up giving everything. And God's to be worshipped no matter what kingdom is offered, no matter what I, idealistic, utopian kingdom is given. You know, we're tempted, to, we're tempted by the promise of utopia. We're trying to create our own little kingdoms here on earth. We're, we're tempted by the promise of a perfect order, a perfect kingdom, a perfect government. And, and sometimes we can seek ungodly ways to bring those about. We can seek earthly means. But Jesus is saying, no, we're to, we're to worship God, even if it means up giving everything. And so in this temptation, what was the devil doing? The devil was claiming all authority and power belonged to him. In this account, what Luke is showing us is that the devil may have, for a temporary amount of time, He may have been given power and authority. Adam gave the power and authority over to the devil in sinning. He he gave over his authority to the devil over the kingdoms of the earth and taking dominion. But Jesus has come to establish an authority above all the kingdoms of the earth. And so we see in this passage, we see the kingdom of God breaking out. And Jesus proving that, no, the devil doesn't have ultimate authority. That Jesus has authority over demons. And he has authority over the fall and the effects of sin and over sickness. He came to proclaim that God's exercising his authority in the world through his son. The whole purpose that Jesus was sent for, he says, was to proclaim the kingdom of God. To proclaim that he came to conquer evil and redeem a people for his kingdom. And isn't that good news? Later in the book of Acts, Luke, the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts, and and later in Acts, Luke would record Peter's sermon to Cornelius in Acts 10, and we have that for you on the overheads. Peter gives a commentary on what Jesus came to do, and he's really summing up this passage as well. And, And Peter, he says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. That's what this passage is. This is beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John proclaimed. How it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's what Jesus is doing. It says, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. But you know the ultimate proof of the authority of Jesus, the ultimate way that Jesus has conquered the forces of evil, it was finally seen in the cross And so Peter continues in his sermon in Acts 10, 39, and he says, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses. Then in verse 42, he says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify. Listen to the language here. He came to, to preach to us and to the people to testify that he is the one appointed by God. He's the one who has authority to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus is the one who has ultimate authority in heaven and earth. Christian, don't forget that. Don't forget that. He's been appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He's been given authority to forgive sins for all who believe in him. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, right before he ascended, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth. How much authority? All authority. Well, well, is it just all authority up in heaven so that Jesus is just kind of like a divine clockmaker letting the world go and do its awful deeds? And No, he's saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what we see, Jesus' authority breaking out in this passage. His authority over demons, his authority over darkness, his authority over the heavens, his authority over the earth. And so then he says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach him to deserve all I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Because Jesus has authority, he came, he says, to proclaim the kingdom, the kingdom of God's rule and reign, God's authority. He came to proclaim that. And he gave us the same exact task. Because he has authority, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he established his authority. Because he has authority, he's given us his authority to proclaim his kingdom and establish his authority in the earth. Sometimes we act like we're the ultimate authority. Sometimes we act like our boss is the ultimate authority. Sometimes we think a teacher is the ultimate authority or a parent is the ultimate authority. Or we, we, we forget and we feel like a government or a, a party is the ultimate authority. And we forget that all authority has not been given to any of those people, not to us. It's been given to Jesus. All authority has been given to him. You know, there's so much fear right now that's ruling so many people. There's fear of a lack of authority in homes. Fear that our children won't do well. That they won't grow up to know God. That they won't turn out right. There's fear that our spouses will abuse us. There's fear that people will be harmed. There's fear about the economy. There's fear about the future. Fear about government. Fear about war, fear about who's going to next be in power. Here's why this passage is relevant for us, because we don't need to fear. We need to see that Jesus has authority. Do you believe that? Jesus has authority in your home. Are you submitting to Jesus' authority in your home? Are you submitting to Jesus' authority in your workplace? Are you seeking his authority in your home? Are you seeking his authority in your workplace? Are you seeking that in your school? Are you seeking that um, wherever you go in your neighborhood? Are you seeking his authority ultimately in the affairs of government? We don't need to fear. He's given, given all authority and power and, 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 and over all the kingdoms of the earth. And he's sent us as emissaries to proclaim his kingdom. Let's not lose sight of that. He's given us a lasting kingdom for us to proclaim. Let's get more excited about that than anything else around us. And Christian, I want to encourage you to proclaim to your fellow believer who was fearful and worried about how our nation is going. Proclaim to them the authority of the kingdom of God. When you encounter somebody who's fearful that their own sin will overwhelm them, proclaim to them in the power and authority of God. When you are fearful that your sins will overwhelm thee and you won't be able to change, you need to hear and remember the power and authority of God. Amen. Keep clapping. That's great. Clap for me. We're clapping because Jesus has all power and authority. We need that, and we must proclaim that, not only to ourselves, but to the watching world around us. Let that be our, our, our loudest message. And then Jesus came to deliver us from the biggest problem we have, our own sinful, evil hearts. I want you to be astounded and amazed at Jesus' teaching. Colossians 2, Paul, he kind of sums up what Jesus did in Colossians 2. We're going we're gonna to end here in just a moment. Colossians 2, 13. Here is what Jesus did. Here is the power that Jesus has. Paul says, and you, this is all of us, by the way, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. Only God can forgive sins as we heard earlier because all sins are against God as Aaron reminded us. But God has forgiven us our sins because he has canceled the debt that stood against us with his legal demands. It says this, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, it's a picture of what Jesus began to do in this passage in Luke 4. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. The demon was afraid because he was being disarmed. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Where is your hope? What authority are you looking for? 
You don't have any need to fear because Jesus is the ultimate authority. He has authority in his word. He has authority over darkness. He has authority over the power and effects of sin and over evil. It's just a matter of waiting until his kingdom fully comes. His kingdom has come, but, but not fully yet. And here right now, he's in the process of bringing his authority about as his word is proclaimed, as the gospel is preached, as hearts and minds are changed and submit to his authority. And so now we wait. That's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to, to wait trusting in his authority, trusting in his power, not trusting in any other power or authority. Don't be confused. Don't be tempted by that demonic temptation of the kingdoms of the earth. While we wait, we proclaim his power through the preaching of the kingdom, and people are set free. That's really the change we need. That's our hope. That's where we should be spending our energies and efforts. And and Jesus is the one true leader. He's the ultimate authority that we can trust. And he brings peace to homes. He brings peace to families. His authority, as we submit to his authority, he brings peace to the classroom. He brings peace to our workplace. He brings peace to the world around us as we submit to, as we preach, as we proclaim, as we declare his authority. Amen? Well, let's pray. As we pray, go ahead and have the band come up. Um, Joe, if you will. God, we pray that you would forgive us. You would forgive us from losing sight of you. God, I pray that you would forgive us for giving in to fear and worry. God, I pray that you would forgive us for not seeing you as having authority over our sin. I pray that you would forgive us for not seeing that you have authority over our parenting, over our children, over our homes. I pray that you would forgive us for not trusting in you for our schools and for our work. God, forgive us for not trusting in you for our government, for our lives. Forgive us for turning to the kingdoms of the earth for hope. And Jesus, might we turn to you again. God, I pray that we would be amazed at your authority and your power. And Jesus, would you continue to do what you've already done in our lives? Would you set us free? Would you open up our blind eyes? Would you unplug our deaf ears? Would you enable us to, to know you? God, would you enable us to trust in you, to rest in your power, to rest in your authority, to glory in your power, to glory in your authority? And then would you enable us to, to rejoice in your kingdom and proclaim your kingdom? God, we pray all these things, Lord, and Thank you that you came to declare your power and authority. And Jesus, so we do that. We, we declare right now that, Jesus, you have power and authority over us. We thank you for your power and authority over our sin. We thank you for your power and authority over our lives. And we declare that we will submit to you. We want to submit to you. We declare that we need your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we we declare by faith that we're trusting in you. In Jesus' name.